And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this broadcast. We are so glad that you are able to join us today. How would you define a gift certificate to a young child? It's harder than you think. Today, we look further into Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. We see that God's salvation of sinners is the most amazing and the biggest gift certificate of all time. We should never be ashamed of the gospel. Satan is a crafty illusionist who distracts us from the gospel. Don't be distracted. And now with his message is our pastor, Robert Elliott. Saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, saved from the pleasure of sin and one day saved from the very presence of sin. This wonderful epistle to the Romans takes up all three of these huge blessings. In chapter 5, it's on justification, free from the penalty of sin. Chapter 6 and 7 is on sanctification, free from the uh, power of sin. And chapter 8, glorification, free from the presence of sin one day. When our daughter Joanna was seven, she asked me what a gift certificate was to a store. I guess she'd seen that we were given a gift certificate and at seven years old, she said, what is that? Well, that's harder to explain than you might think that a seven-year-old can understand. I thought about that and tried to put it into simple terms what a gift certificate is to Joanna. And eventually I came up with this idea. I said to Joanna, a gift certificate means that you get as much as the other person paid for. You get as much as the other person paid for. I want to tell you something. Salvation (laughs) is the most amazing and huge gift certificate that ever was created. Isn't that precisely the gospel, that because Jesus paid for the total solution to sin, we get justification, sanctification, glorification, or put another way, Jesus paid for the whole salvation package. We get freedom from sin's penalty, freedom from sin's power and pleasure, and one day freedom from sin's presence. The gospel is a theological gift certificate. It was no surprise that George Whitfield said, There are many that can preach the gospel better than I can, but there is none that can preach a better gospel. So the case builds that we ought not to be ashamed of the gospel. It's the greatest power. It's the greatest power working the greatest blessing. And there's a third reason not to be ashamed about the gospel. It's verse 16, and it's this. The gospel is the greatest power working the greatest blessing for the greatest possible number of people, for the greatest number of people possible of people. 16 again, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You believe, the gospel is for you. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. The words to everyone who believes are expansive to me and they are motivating. They're inviting. These words describe anyone who will believe on Christ, Jews, Gentiles, anyone 
No restriction on race, no restriction on age, no restriction on gender, no restriction on ethnicity, no restriction on socioeconomic bracket. Anyone and everyone who believes on Christ for salvation will be saved. And please notice that the activating agent of this belief lifts the biblical Christian gospel head and shoulders above all the other pseudo-false gospels and the false world, major world religions. Let me explain. I mean this, that Romans 1.16 teaches that, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. This stands in stark, superior contrast to the pseudo-gospels of Buddhism. For them, only a few work their way into nothingness and thereby merit nirvana. Superior to Hinduism, which believes that for a few who can work off their karma by multiple reincarnations, they have salvation. Far superior to Islam, which believes that for the few who serve Allah by destroying the infidels. Far superior to the New Age movement, who believe that for a few who channel into their own divinity within, have a salvation. This gospel stands utterly head and shoulders superior to the other pseudo or false gospels of the Roman Catholic Church who have kept church tradition and elevated higher than the scriptures, who teach purgatory. It's a gospel higher than the pseudo-gospel of secular humanism, which teaches to reach your full evolutionary potential, you do so through education and philanthropic effort, being charitable. It's a far superior gospel to the liberal Christianity who see Jesus Christ merely as a good teacher, who believe that salvation is by them serving mankind and addressing things like ecology, drinking water, and social injustices. You get the point. It's only the biblical Christian gospel which opens forgiveness and heaven to all who will believe on Christ. The biblical grace gospel is the only gospel which makes forgiveness right standing before God and heaven gifts to be received by faith rather than prizes to be earned by religious self-effort. Back to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Salvation to everyone who believes. There's something dangerous for us Christians in going back to the Statue of Liberty. Years ago, magician... David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty vanish. Well, actually, he didn't do that. He pulled off a massive illusion that he did that. And what made Copperfield's illusion work was distraction. And David Copperfield distracted millions of television viewers enough that some believed the illusion that the Statue of Liberty had actually vanished. I'm here to tell you this morning that Satan is a masterful illusionist. He puts so many distractions before us that we could possibly think that the gospel is no more. Don't get distracted. The gospel stands. It is not going anywhere. Now this salvation to everyone who believes God makes belief or faith in Jesus Christ's person and work the issue to receiving the grace gifts of forgiveness and eternal life. Reasons not to be 
ashamed of the gospel as the greatest power, working the greatest blessing for the greatest possible number of people. And fourthly, don't be ashamed of the gospel because it is the greatest power working the greatest blessing for the greatest possible number of people in the greatest sphere of result. In the greatest sphere, you could say arena, of result. Reading both verses, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. The greatest sphere or arena of result is being made right with God because of faith in God's Son. In the wisdom of God, it was devised that there would be a way for the love of God to deliver sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God. That's a John Piper quote. The wisdom of God devised a way for the love of God to deliver the sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God, end of quote. And so when verse 17 uses the phrase from faith to faith, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. When that faith to faith phrase is used, the verse is teaching us that from the beginning to the end and everywhere in between, it is faith and not religious works that makes a person right with God. From the beginning of salvation to the end of your salvation and everything in between, it is of faith that you have a right standing with God. The Holy Spirit here delights to have had Paul quote the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, to teach righteousness is via faith, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Doesn't matter what age of human history you lived in, what economy of God's redemption, what dispensation, it doesn't matter when you lived, salvation is granted as a grace gift as you place faith in God. Both in the Old and the New Testaments, that is the case. Grace through faith. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, another edition of Youth Talk. And today we're going to continue talking about sincerely God and look at God's Word and look at how God's Word is a guide to our lives. The last time we looked at how God's word will never pass away. And as we looked at Matthew 24, verse 35, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Today we want to look at a verse that we so many times go to as we consider God's word. And we can show you how powerful and how strong and how God's word, it's just so, it's living and it's active. And this is what it said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit and joints and marrows. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we consider this verse and we look at it and we really look at what it says, it says, For the word of God is living. It's alive. It's not dead. You know, it's something that that continues to go on. You see, things that are alive grow, breathe, and move, and they change the world around it. You see, God's Word changes the world around. God's Word will change us 
And as it changes us from the inside out, we can make a change into our communities, into our world, and what we're going through. You see, in the same way, God's Word will get things to change within us. When we read it, we meditate on it and apply it to our lives, we are changed. And again, as I said, we have changed the world around, the people around us. You know, for me in my life, when I can look at, and I'm in God's Word, and I'm studying God's Word, I can see a difference in my life. But if there are times that in my life when I'm not in God's Word like I should be, I can see how I compromise things or how I, my attitude changes in, the, in a wrong way. It's because I'm not filling my soul. I'm not filling the inside of me with what needs to be filled. It's just like a plant. If you have a plant and you're trying to grow plants, you can water it. But the reality is if, if it's not in sunlight, it's still going to die. You're only doing a part of it. You're only doing a part of what it needs. If it needs sun and water, it's going to die. So why do we as Christians think that we can get by with just doing the bare minimum when we look into God's Word? Why do we think that, oh, I read a verse today, so I, I'm good? No, it's living. It's active. It's alive. But we also see how this is a two-edged sword. And when we consider two, we, we, we consider a sword a lot of times it's a one edge. But we see it here as a double edge. It goes in and comes out and it hurts. It, it's there to penetrate. It's there to help us. When the Bible said the word of God is sharp and penetrating, it's talking about the way God's word can cut straight to our hearts. Not for harm, but for healing. You see, we need to understand that God's word is penetrating. It's hard. And when, we, and when we're really reading it and we're in it, we see how it changes us and how it hurts sometimes to see the reality of our own lives. You see, when I look at this verse and I, and I see again how we need to, to, to look at God and study God's word, it's living. It's a two-edged sword. It penetrates. It's hard sometimes. God's words are sharp because they don't beat around the bush. And so many times today as we consider this, and, and, and you may be listening we like to go to watch the TV and we like to hear these pastors on TV and they're talking about how easy the Christian life is and how you're going to be rich and how you're going to have good health and strength and the list could go on. But when you read God's word, you don't see that. I see the complete opposite. We're going to suffer. We're going to have hard times because we're taking a stand for Christ. You see, the Christian life isn't easy. When we're studying God's word, it's going to show us that. You see, when we consider and, and we look at how, you know, we can look at almost as this like a surgery. But we have the right surgeon. The surgeon that's going to look into our hearts and our lives and, and just help us and, and try to show us the things that we need to change. You see, I think too many times in life we, we, we sometimes don't want to read God's Word because we, see, we truly see who it is. We see who we are. And when we look at even in James chapter 1, verses 22, and it talks about how we need to be doers and not just hearers of the word. It talks about how the word of God is a mirror as we see our lives and we see who we are. When I read God's word, I see how desperately wicked I am and how much I need God in my life, how I need a spirit to, to convict me of my sin and to show me things in my life that I'm doing wrong. So I'm going to challenge you as we close, as we, as we think of this this whole thing of God's word being a guide. Psalms 119 verses 104, I mean 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
I think so many times as we consider God's word and we consider it being a light, it's a, it shows us everything. It shows us what is around it, but it's a light on my path. It guides me. It directs me. You know, when I consider a, a, a person out in a boat, they look for the lighthouse so they can know how close they are to land and how close they can come. You see, God's word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And I need to understand that as I go about life, it's going to show me. It's going to show me the things in my life that I need to change. So as we close and we talk about how God's word is a guide, I challenge you to let God's word guide you. I challenge you to start to read through the book of John because this is the gospel message and this will show you what Christ has done for us. I would challenge you to just pick up God's word for five minutes a day to start somewhere to read it for yourself because if you're not in the word of God, how else are you going to change? This is Pastor Nicholas with another edition of You Talk. And now, today's personal God story. Well, good morning, listeners. We are in the radio studio with DeWitt and Sally Simonette. How are you folks doing today? Oh, oh my. Thank you. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. We're telling an amazing story that you need to go to www.calvarybible.org. BS under media and find the previous broadcast because you won't want to miss them. But we're getting sort of near the end of your story. God has miraculously let you come together in marriage in your 80s. I'll just put it that way. And um, one of the happiest weddings I've ever officiated. Uh, weddings are always happy, but boy, the, the joy, rejoicing that was in surrounding your um, coming full circle to marry again in Christ and be different people, forgiving people, uh, respectful people is just such an encouragement. So you now are embarking on, on a road of married life together. And what's it been like? Great. Well, as an outsider looking in, it looks great to me. uh, What do you think, Sally? How's it going? It's great. It's great. Like I tell them, if, if I say something and they, you don't like it, just give me a kiss and I know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. Oh, I and think, that's how you do it. I you think it. that yes, uh, yeah. any... Uh, and we're happy together. That's yeah. wonderful. Any husband, any Christian husband or Christian wife yes. would do well to have you guys as their friends. Yes. And uh, you've got a lot to tell them about yes. life experience yes. and God's answer to prayer. And how God can change people and yeah. does change people. Yes. Um, let's give our attention to um, some of the ways that I think what God has done for you can help others. Because there are people listening to our broadcast today and every Sunday who um, need to understand uh, the power of God. They have maybe not never known it or have forgotten it, what would you say to that kind of a listener who's not really um, facing and and uh, appreciating the power of God? What would you say about God's power? God's power is awesome. The problem most of the time is, is that um, 
we only look to God most of the time when we're in trouble. Mm. And um, when that happens, it's going to be a little difficult because mm-hmm. uh, uh, we are there to please Him, yes. and and not not uh, not He to please us. Yes. So um, I find it if you are humble and you are submissive and you are obedient. Like he says, um, like except you become converted and come as a little child and see yourself as a as an infant mm-hmm. in his presence, um, we take over from there, and we only make him to be as big and as large and as awesome as what we seem to be. Well, there's a lot of good truth there to it. You said that we are wrong if we only consider God's power when we're in trouble. You said that uh, ours is to please him and not to please, he's not to please us. You said that we should become as little children. Right. To understand how big God is. Yes. And uh, unless we humble ourselves to think like a little child right. and he's our heavenly father, yes. Yes. we won't really appreciate right. his power as we should. Right. Good. Right. Sally, let me change from God's power to what would you say to a listener who um, needs to know more about the Bible? What, what, what does the Bible do in a believer's life? Well, I would, I would tell anyone, we have to read the Bible, and we have to get God's Word, get, get, you know, read the Word, apply it to your heart, and live, and live the life. Read it, apply, apply it, it and... Yes. Yeah, to your, to your life. And because if you don't, to the end of the day, you will want to do your own thing. But if you really know the Word, and, and, you, and you continue reading of the Word, and apply it to your heart, that's where life comes in much easier. That's, that's, it's, only, it's only Jesus. That's only Jesus, and he's found in the Word of God. Yes. He speaks to us through the Word of yes. God, the Bible. The Bible. Yeah. I heard a pastor who had a parishioner come and say that she was going to leave the church. Yes. And he said, why? And she said, because I see people on their cell phones during church. Oh, and yeah. Other people are mm. not living a life they should. Mm. So the preacher said to her, would you do something for me? Mm-hmm. And she said, okay. Before you leave the church, would you do something for me? Mm-hmm. Okay. He gave her a glass of water, mm-hmm. and he asked her to walk around the whole church building, not spill one drop of the water. Mm-hmm. She came back, and uh, he said to her, well, uh, did you see anybody on their cell phones while you were walking with the water? No, no. Did you see anybody living a life they shouldn't live while you were walking around with the water? No, no, no. She, he said, why didn't you see those people? Because I was paying closest attention to not spilling the water. He said, when you come to church, uh, don't you be paying mind of everybody around you. But your, your focus has to be on God, on God and his word That's every it. time you come That's to church. It. And you're saying our focus should be on God's word. Also, when we're not in church all the time. All the time. 24-7. 24-7. 24-7. Although I cannot see now to read, but I, I, I quote scriptures. Because you've hidden God's word yeah, in your heart with memorization. Yeah. Yes. Wow, we could we could go on so much uh, more, but it, it's been such a pleasure for all of these episodes to let you tell your God story, and uh, it's an incredible story, unique. 
I don't think I'll ever hear a story like this again until I go to heaven. And so thank you for being uh, my sister and my brother in Christ. Uh, you're an inspiration to me and an inspiration to everybody who knows both of you. Thank you. Privilege. You're welcome. Thank you. You're so welcome, Beth. Oh, wonderful. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we are trophies of your grace. Uh, all that we have that is good in us is from you. Uh, you have called us to Christ, given us faith to believe in him, and then you've made us new creations in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. Thank you for Duet and Sally as being living examples of your power to change lives. Bless them in every way, Lord. Bless their marriage. Bless their families. Bless their time in your word. Uh, bless their prayer lives. Bless them uh, financially in every way with health and strength. Lord, please bless them so that they in turn can continue to be a blessing as they are to so many. Amen. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory alone. Amen. Amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. Our next question comes from Luke chapter 9 and verse 60, which reads... But he, Jesus, said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. The question is, what did Jesus mean, allow the dead to bury their own dead? In Luke chapter 9, verses 59 to 61, Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of God takes priority over other temporal issues. When calling a follower, someone responded, Permit me first to go and bury my father. That's what it says in verse 59. Burial was a very important duty in Jewish society. According to the Talmud, it took precedence over the study of the law, over temple service, over killing the Passover lamb, over the observance of circumcision. But here Jesus taught that the demands of the kingdom are of the highest priority. He said, allow the dead to bury their own dead, in verse 60. By this, he meant that the spiritually dead could care for those who were physically dead. It is probable that the man's father was not dead at the time he spoke to Jesus. His words were more of an excuse. He was saying, let me take care of my father until his death, and then I'll follow you. Jesus was teaching that those who are alive to Christ should make his kingdom their highest priority. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are 
at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.